Could you open your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 16? The title for the sermon tonight is, What Would You Give Up? Okay, what would you give up? Okay, how would you feel if somebody worldwide famous and influential in Christendom spent some time in our church and they had some exciting things planned? And they had been watching you and they were impressed. Or they noticed that you were spiritually mature and growing you were well respected in the church, you had a good reputation, you were faithful, and that this person offered you the chance to participate in the exciting things that they had planned. That this was an awesome opportunity, it would only be offered to a select few. But in order to join, you had to go through an uncomfortable and deeply personal medical procedure that would cause you much pain. Okay, what would be your response. Now this is the scene that we find in our text. Paul has just commenced his second missionary journey. Scholars estimate that around five years had passed since the completion of his first trip. And the purpose of this second journey was to see how the churches that he had founded were going. We see this in Acts 15 verse 36. Paul wasn't happy with just converts. He desired spiritual growth and maturity, which teaches us that missions is much more than evangelizing. It includes discipleship. It includes church building. It includes saints being strengthened. Now, unfortunately, as this trip was being planned, Paul and Barnabas, who had teamed up for the first missionary journey, they had a massive Barney. Yeah, they had a big disagreement So much so that they went their separate ways. That the mission dream team had split. It would be like the world's most famous band going their separate ways. They couldn't resolve their disputes surrounding John Mark. So Barnabas went one way and Paul went the other. A very sad moment. Now after this split, Paul took Silas. He was the Barnabas replacement. And we read in our text, verse 1, that they came into Derby and Lystra. Oh, it's interesting that they don't start this second journey in the same place that the first trip commenced, but rather they start where the first actually finished. And that's because there was a divine appointment at Lystra. And this would prove to be essential for the second trip. We read in verse 1 of a young man named Timotheus. He's probably around 20, give or take a couple of years. He's referred to in verse 1 as a disciple, which means he was a Christian. And we're given some family information. We're told his mom was a Jew and a believer. We learn from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 that his grandmother Lois was also a Christian. And it's evident that these ladies had an impact on Timothy in the spiritual realm. Because we're told in our text that his dad was a Greek. So his mom had broken God's law and was involved in what we would call an unequally yoked marriage. And scripture indicates that his father never embraced Christianity. And yet these ladies, they were faithful 
in teaching Timothy the scriptures, that they were monumental in both his conversion and spiritual development. And that's an encouragement for the moms. Okay, whether you are a mom or this gives you a way to encourage a mom, even if your husband is slack in his spiritual duties, which understand that's a gross failure of responsibility, however, you can still teach your children and have a lasting impact. Be faithful, teach and live the gospel and you can be an instrument that God uses to influence your children's lives. Just like these ladies in the life of Timothy. Now most scholars speculate that Paul's previous ministry in Lystra, that's in his first journey, was a catalyst for the gospel to grab hold in this family. His first trip to this town is recorded in Acts 14. I'm not sure how much you remember, but Paul performed an amazing miracle. And the native folk, when they saw this, are like, hey, Paul must be a god. And once Paul caught on what they were thinking and planning, he instantly and ferociously rejected their attempts to worship him through sacrifice. And then things changed dramatically due to some opposition that they whipped up the crowds like the wind does the ocean before a storm and they ended up stoning Paul okay they left him for dead so talk about a dramatic change in circumstances one minute he's been worshipped next minute they're trying to kill him now by God's grace Paul was spared and he actually went back into that city and preached before departing And it seems that this ministry had a lasting impact on Timothy and his family. In fact, it's interesting that the stoning of Stephen was a moment that impacted Paul and influenced him toward the gospel. And it seems that his protege, Timothy, had a similar experience. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 that he was aware, that's Timothy, of Paul's suffering. And Lystra is actually mentioned specifically in those verses. So it seems that watching someone who was willing to suffer so much for Christ had made the gospel appealing to this family. And there's an application in that for us. If we suffer well for Christ, that can have a real and lasting impact on people. We never know the influence of what we do or say in difficult situations may end up having on others. And it seems likely that the apostles' endurance during hardship and persecution impacted Timothy and his family. Okay, but I want you to think about this. Imagine enduring all that last time. Okay, you come to this city, they want to worship you one minute, then they kick you out and throw stones at you. Okay, they want you dead. Humanly speaking, it would be very easy to just skip that town, wouldn't it? And not go back. You know, imagine that the flesh speaking to Paul. It's like, really? Paul, are you so silly to go back to that place? Do you remember last time? They nearly killed you. Maybe this time they'll be successful. Why go back? You're out of your mind. Go somewhere else. There's plenty of other places. And yet such was the love of Paul for Christ and for the church that he returned. And we can see the hand of the Lord at work, that the Lord's governing these circumstances, what we call providence. He's steering the wheel. 
because someone caught Paul's eye. We're told in verse 2 that Timothy had a good report amongst the people. He had a good reputation. People spoke highly of him. As Paul asked around about this young man, he received glowing reports. When he asked the leaders, when he asked the lay people, they all thought highly of him. He'd been faithful in serving in this church. He was above reproach. You know, often in a church, there are one or two or three outstanding young people who you can just see that the Lord will use them. Timothy was that guy. And as is always the case, the Lord will call somebody to something bigger when they're faithful in the smaller things. We see that with Timothy. You want to be used greatly by God, prove yourself in the smaller things. Okay, be faithful right now. Because if you can't be faithful in the littler things, there's no way you'll be faithful in the bigger things. Timothy proved his credentials in the small areas. And it was in this context that Paul offered him a position on the missionary team. We see this in verse 3. It says, him would Paul have to go forth with him. And that must have been quite an exciting invitation to be offered a place to serve alongside Paul. It would be like getting offered a position to play under the best coach in your favorite sport. Okay, for me as a child, it would be like getting offered a scholarship at Manchester United to play under Sir Alex. That would be amazing. Or for you, perhaps it's getting to be personally tutored by the world's best in your field of interest. What an opportunity. And that's what this text is all about. This is one primary reason as to why it's included in the Bible. It explains how Timothy, who would become an influential figure in the early church, was brought into the missionary team. Now, one of the purposes of the book of Acts is to help us understand the epistles. And this narrative begins to explain why books were written to Timothy. But another key function of this text is found in the condition of Timothy joining the missionary team. And it's here where I want to focus. And the condition is somewhat surprising. Timothy had to be circumcised in order to join the missionary team. Now, what are we to make of this? Because in Acts chapter 15, we have recorded the Jerusalem Council. And there we find the Apostle Paul, he is passionately fighting against circumcision. And yet here, we have a situation where he strongly encourages it. How are we to understand this? Has Paul gone crazy? Is he being two-faced? Is he going against the council so soon? How can this be reconciled? Where we need to begin is by understanding that in Acts 15... And also in the book of Galatians, what the Apostle Paul condemns, what he is passionately against, the hill that he was willing to die on, was that circumcision played no part in salvation. Okay? It was not necessary for a Gentile to perform this ritual in order to be accepted in God's sight. And Paul had strongly presented the case that it was not necessary for Gentile converts to come under the Jewish law to experience salvation. In other words, we could say he would die for the truth that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone. Because understand, one is not made right with God through any work or ritual. That's the teaching of the Bible. One can only be made right with God. One can only be saved from sin, death and judgment by repenting of their sin and placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial and resurrection. Okay? And that has not changed. That's the only way for one to be saved both then and now. And Paul was very settled on that point. And hence, this is not the issue at play with Timothy. Verse 1 declares that he is a disciple, he is a Christian, and that was prior to his circumcision. So this had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. Paul didn't do this to ensure that his standing was right with God. It's vital that we get that point. But we also need to understand that Timothy was half Jewish. Timothy was not full Gentile. We read in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul insisted that Titus, he was a Gentile, ought not to be circumcised. Galatians 2.3 says, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That's how Paul dealt with this situation. But since Timothy was half Jewish through his mom, he was different. And this is a key point. Understand, mixed marriages were forbidden by the Jews. But when they occurred, the children were to be raised as a Jew. And hence it would be expected that Timothy would be raised Jewish, which included circumcision. And since he was not circumcised, he would be regarded as an apostate Jew. And that would be quite the stumbling block as he worked with Paul throughout the missionary journey. And hence, that was the motive behind Paul's demand. Notice in verse 3, it says, And took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. It was because of the Jews. Okay, Paul would have lost easy access to the synagogues. It would have presented an unnecessary hurdle to his Jewish evangelism. And hence, he ensured that this was taken care of before Timothy could get involved. And this stresses that despite Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles, he had not abandoned the Jews. Paul still cared greatly for them, so much so that all possible barriers needed to be knocked down. So that's what this is all about. We could say this is 1 Corinthians 9 in practice, where Paul says, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He was willing to give up personal liberties, lay aside his preferences and freedoms. He would do whatever it took to remove any potential stumbling blocks. Now, of course, he was bound by the scriptures. He was bound by the gospel. He would never do anything that contradicted the Bible. But he was willing to lay things aside, to, to do things or not do things if it meant increasing his evangelizing or edifying effectiveness, okay, working with both saved or unsaved. And this is why he insisted that Timothy be circumcised. He wanted to remove all barriers that could potentially hinder God's work, even if it meant giving up one's liberty. Okay? He would forsake that for the benefit of others. 
And this decision to sacrifice one's personal freedom and preferences for the sake of others is not a contradiction of the church council in Acts 15, but in fact it's actually in perfect harmony with it. And it's sensitive to the instructions that it contains. Notice in verse 4 in our text, they delivered the decrees from the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So this was the authoritative documents outlining the church's position. The word translated decree is only used in one other place in the book of Acts, and it speaks of a decree of Caesar. So this stresses the authority of this document. And it contained the church's position that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. Okay, they didn't have to become Jewish in order to be saved. That's the doctrinal position. But the decree also said this, Acts chapter 15 and verse 20, that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. And notice that this included instructions primarily surrounding areas of liberty. Okay? It was about things that could be eaten and not eaten. And the request is made that these Gentiles would be respectful of their Jewish brethren. Be willing to sacrifice for them. Go without for their sakes. And this was the message that Paul was preaching as he went through these churches. So you can see that Paul insisting that Timothy be circumcised certainly didn't contradict the church's counsel, but he's very sensitive and respectful of its request. His, his actions were in perfect harmony with it. And furthermore, this is in harmony with what Paul teaches elsewhere. It's in agreement with becoming all things for all men, 1 Corinthians 9. It synchronizes perfectly with his teaching on the weaker and stronger brother, not being a stumbling block. That's Romans 14. So insisting on Timothy being circumcised is in perfect harmony with the rest of Scripture. And it leads to one point of application, and it's this. What are we willing to give up for the benefit of others? What rights, liberties, or preferences are we willing to lay aside if it means we are more effective in evangelizing the unsaved or edifying the believers? To make it clear, we're not talking about disobeying the Bible. This is not doing what the Bible prohibits or not doing what the Bible commands. But this is about the areas where there's liberty, where there's freedom, where we can make choices. Are we willing to sacrifice them for the benefit of others? You know, often in countries like our own, we don't like that. We think, hey, I'm free to do that. And hence, I'm going to do it. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. My friend, that's inconsistent with the gospel. So we come to the question, what are we willing to give up if it helps us evangelize the lost or edify a believer? Now, are we willing to not eat or drink something if that is a real issue for another person? 
Hey, would you be willing to not eat pork or bacon if that helped evangelize your Muslim neighbor or colleague? You know, are you willing to not watch or listen to something because it could hinder your ministry to another? Okay, you may well believe that it's okay, your conscience is clear, you're strong in that area. But that particular show or movie, that song or band, it's a real issue for someone else. It really affects them. Would you give it up for their sake? So they don't go backwards in their spiritual growth. Now, would you be willing to wear or not wear certain clothes in order to not be a stumbling block for someone else? Sure, your standards may well be acceptable in God's sight. But if someone really battles in that area of life, would you sacrifice for their sake? Or would you think, well, hey, it's not my problem. Sort yourself out. I don't care. You know, would you be sensitive and respectful to the cultural practices of others, even though you may not understand or appreciate them? Now, would you be sensitive that in some cultures, rarely do females talk to males? Okay, would you accept that or just ruthlessly push against it? Or would you be sensitive to the previous hurts of others? A lady may have been treated horribly by men in her life, and hence she finds it really hard to talk to men. Would you be sympathetic to that? Would you be respectful or just keep trying to force the conversation? Now, such behavior can really hinder her receptiveness to the gospel or her spiritual growth. And my friend, there could be many more examples that we could use to illustrate this principle. But the question is, whatever the scenario, are you willing to forgo your rights, forsake your liberties, if it means... It will increase or even give you an evangelizing opportunity or it'll make you far more effective in ministering into the life of a fellow believer. Okay, what would you be willing to give up? Now, I understand that this is not an excuse for somebody who is weaker to stay weak. Okay, that the goal should be for one to become stronger and fully enjoy their liberty in Christ. And yet if we don't respect and be sensitive to that weakness, that will never happen. Neither is this to be used as a weapon to get our own way. Okay, guilt others into doing what we want. It's amazing how we sinful creatures can take something good and, and twist it for our own advantage. But as Christians, we need to be willing to give up things for the sake of of others okay to not do things or, or to do things if it will help someone else is that the disposition of our hearts you know to, to what extreme would we be willing to go if it means removing evangelizing or edifying stumbling blocks okay in the text timothy got circumcised as a grown man okay what what are you willing to give up to help others what what are you willing to sacrifice you know my friend understand that this disposition of being willing to forsake for the benefit of others is in perfect harmony with the gospel because Jesus Christ became man for our sake okay he humbled himself taking on humanity why for our benefit he the creator God dwelt with the creation. He took our sin upon himself and died in our place. He fully sacrificed himself for the benefit of others. 
And for those of us who have tasted the goodness and grace of Jesus in the gospel, surely we ought to be willing to forsake our rights and liberties if it means it will help in evangelizing or edifying another. Okay, what are you willing to give up if it helps someone come to Christ? What are you willing to give up if it helps your brother or sister make progress in their spiritual life? Okay, the gospel is all about sacrifice for the benefit of others. And may we be willing to live that out in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for, for your word. And uh, Lord, may we, uh, as believers, be willing uh, to, to live out uh, the gospel. We who have tasted the goodness and grace of Jesus, surely we of all people ought to be willing to, to forsake things for, for the benefit of another. Lord, please help us to be sensitive to this in our lives. And may this be uh, a category uh, in our hearts where we're willing uh, you know, to, to forsake things that, uh, that, that are not wrong, but it's going to help someone else. Help us to be like Jesus in this area, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.